a lot of times like our clients are so desperately wanting to connect for them to know that I've struggled with suicidal thoughts in my life. So I get it. I also know what it feels like to feel completely hopeless. That is instant connection. Does your therapist have mental health issues? Maybe you'd know, maybe you wouldn't. However, with me and my upcoming guest, you definitely know. We don't try to hide it. Just look at the title of the episode. And I think it's really important that we talk about it. Since I've created the Truth Doctor platform, I have had so many people tell me that they always felt like their mental health issues had to hold them back from the careers that they truly wanted to have in their lives. And we're here to discuss how that doesn't have to be the case. My guest during this episode is Kristen Gingrich, an LCSW licensed clinical social worker and KDAC certified alcohol and drug counselor in the state of Maine. She prides herself in embracing a no BS approach to modern therapy while also creating a space for her clients to grow. And her dreams are the destigmatization of therapy and seeking treatment. In this episode, we talk about self-disclosure versus being a blank slate in the therapy room. We discuss how to talk to your therapist about knowing something about them that they don't know that you know. We talk about what it's like to be a therapist who has gone no contact with her mom and how to handle the public having something to say about it and clients sometimes. And we normalize being a human being with mental health, something we all deserve. Enjoy. Kristen, my fellow no BS therapist that I met on TikTok. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so happy to have you on here. I cannot wait to talk about what we're talking about. You are one of the individuals that are most open, similar to me in terms of what you've been through in your life, mm -hmm. how that informs what you do or why you do what you do. And then like what to do about the fact that it's not always in the past. And I think yeah. that's so important. So thank you for being willing to come on and share. Yeah, I'm excited. I love you. And I love um, all you stand for as well. So it, I, I, that's what connects me with you, I think. I think that no BS, that humanness, I think that that's what always has brought me to you. Even when I first, I remember when I first followed you and I was like, I like her. <laughs> thank you so much. I feel the same way. I was like, oh my God, yes. I've got another queen. I'm not yes. the only one trying to do this thing. That's so nice. Well, let's it. talk about that then. It feels like <laughs> what we're saying is that we both liked that we were both human. So, yeah. you know, if they just got an intro of your professional self, how you show up on social, but who is Kristen as a human? Kristen is a mom. I am a therapist. I am a friend. I am depressed. I am anxious. I am traumatized. I am growth. I have just become a whole person and I am made up of all of these little moments in my life and has made me to who I am today. That's who I am. Oh my God. I just got emotional. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I can feel like that my, my chest, like cracking, yeah. like just, just even like that. Like when I think about myself as a human, like where I am now, like I, when I think of myself as who I am now versus who I was at 15 versus who I was at seven, they are three completely different people. And for lots of different reasons, good and bad. But at the end of the day, that seven-year-old is still me. That 15-year-old is still me. And now I'm 30 and I am me. I'm like speechless. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be as the host of this, but I am. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's beautiful. Like this is the kind of shit 
that mm-hmm. helps me connect to other people and helps just other people connect in general with that understanding. Why are you a therapist with seven-year-old, 15-year-old, 30-year-old Kristen? Why do you do what you do? March 22nd, I was in high school and I remember sitting in my typing class because I remember being mad that I had to take typing because my parents pushed computer classes because they were going to be a big, computers were going to be so important. And I was mad because I hated this class. It was like eight o'clock in the morning in high school. And my principal walked in and informed my class that my friend had died the night before um, and that he had taken his own life. And... I ran out crying because I remember, not because I was sad because I was, but because I remember the last interaction that I had with him and it wasn't great. I said some pretty mean things. I was 14, 15 in high school. I was not a great person back then. And I said some mean things and this was my friend because he annoyed me. Hmm. That's, that's what I look back and I was like, oh, it was just because he annoyed me. And I didn't understand why, why, why? And I then kept thinking, I didn't know. How could someone be so sad and me Mm. as their friend not know? And that really propelled me into wanting to understand people and wanting to understand that why. And really just, I never wanted people to feel that lonely ever again. And I know that at 15, that was such a big concept that I was going to make sure no one in the world was ever that lonely again. But that made me want to work in mental health in, in the capacity to at least the people that I worked with, they wouldn't have to feel alone. And that even though I can't make everybody not feel alone, I can make a difference for the group of people that come into the work that I do. And so that's my why. I'm like on the verge of tears and we just started. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, we're going to get real deep here. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for taking that experience and learning from it and wanting Mm -hmm. to help other people learn from it. That's such a common theme in therapists. Like why it's Mm -hmm. like either they're Mm -hmm. hurt or somebody else is hurt, or they just don't want people to hurt. And it's, we just have this compassion for people, especially it usually is rooted from our pain or others pain Mm -hmm. that went unresolved in some way. And that's even for me, like, as I got older, it started, like, I started to piece together my own childhood and my own, I talk a lot about the relationship with my mom or the lack thereof. And really just like that propelling me into this kind of filling, like really just filling me with empathy and, and really just being able to see people for people and knowing that there are people out there who suffer and struggle and you'll never know. So like I suffered and struggled for many years before anybody ever knew because it was, I I always joke, I joke now and I'm like, it was a disguise. And just being able to create that space, like that propelled me forward, even to this day on social media, kind of like me and you, we show up as our, as our authentic selves as much as you can on social media, but really just kind of saying like, Hey, this is where I'm at. And this is what got me here. That's so important. It's just, you know, authenticity, freedom to say the truth, freedom to, and it's even when the truth is pain and the truth is bullshit and the truth mm-hmm. is whatever, like, you know, all the stuff that you just have to let out. I love that. I, I love that you show up like that. I love that you talk about your relationship with your mom and, or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's really important because 
if we can't do it, if therapists can't do it, and we have an understanding of the why and the understanding of the stigma and the discrimination, and if we can't do it, what is that saying to our clients, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about the truth of being a therapist with mental illness, with struggle, with pain, mm-hmm. and how we navigate through that. And I think what this episode is going to do is really inform the listeners of like, if you are a human being with mental illness, here's how some therapists deal with it. And hopefully that can help inform you of how you can as well. So before we get into it, let's define what it is that we are talking about. I think mm-hmm. the three main, three main key words for this episode is therapist and mental illness and then stigma. So mm-hmm. how would you, how would you define those three things? A therapist is a licensed individual who shows up for you and supports you in some of your darkest times and some of your best times. They are there for every moment if you allow them to be. They are someone who is going to validate but also hold you accountable. They are, they are just a person that you don't have to pretend with. Oh my God, we all need a space like that. <laughs> Like yes, I think about that so much. So many people are walking around the world pretending because they don't have a safe Mm -hmm. space. I would, I totally agree with that definition of therapist. Yeah. I mean, I have my therapist. She's wonderful. And that's the one place where I can 100% truly be myself and, and say shit and not feel judged. There have been things that I've said in her office that I'm like, she might be calling the cops on me later, but she, but we talk about it and she has those authentic conversations so that I can feel that. And I can feel that trust and she trusts me. So yeah. when I have some of those, you know, shaky conversations where she might have to call the cops or something, she trusts that when I say I'm safe yeah. or I'm okay, we've built that relationship where I, where she trusts me. And that's what I, that's what I love about it. That's so important. And so we're talking about this safe space that a therapist can provide you. Where does mental illness fit in that? How would you define that? My brain immediately went anything that makes you struggle negatively, but that's not true. But that's where my brain went because there is stigma because you can still have mental illness and not struggle negatively. But that's where my brain goes because mm-hmm. I'm still unpacking my own version of stigma. And I'm really right. like in a pretty decent place where I'm like, I fully embraced my mental illness, but the world hasn't. And so, yeah, that's a hard one to like define right. that isn't like scientific. I like that you're like struggling to answer it because there's like, there's an easy answer, right? Like mm-hmm. mental illness is a mental disorder from the DSM five, where you qualify for X amount of criteria. And that implies that you are disordered in some area of your life. Mm-hmm. That's causing you significant distress. It's like, yeah. okay, but what's the human version of that? You know, and it's so much of what you described, which is like, I wanted to about to say it's affecting your life in a negative way, but it just, it's just affecting your life. Your mind, mm-hmm. your body, your behavior yep. is different than it would be if you weren't dealing with what you were dealing with, you know? Exactly. And stigma is placing the negativity onto that. It's yep. saying this is unacceptable to our society, our culture, our family, our relationship, mm-hmm. our whatever. And so like, you're not okay. Like do yeah. something about it, right? Yes. 
Yes. When I think of stigma, I think of whispers. That's what, when I, when I hear the word stigma, I hear that in a whisper because when things are stigma, like we whisper about them, we don't talk about them. We hush, hush them. We sweep them under the rug. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I think of stigma and trying to define that. That's what I think. I think of what can I sweep under the rug so that no one else sees it. You know, the parts of us that make us human are the parts of us that can experience mental illness. So we're basically saying like you are a defective human or you are incapable of being the type of human that should, you know, know, exist in society, get respect, be spoken Mm -hmm. about highly, be trusted. And I think that's a huge one when it comes to being a therapist with mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. I love to like dive into like the history of how we got to where we could be having a conversation, like the one that we're having today. And like therapy didn't always exist, right? Like we were doing like bloodletting and like lobotomies, like sticking Mm -hmm. you in an insane asylums. And like, there was no clear understanding of what was going on. And now we're at the point where it's like, oh, by the way, like me and Kristen have mental illness and we're treating yours. Surprise. You know, like, yeah, so far. And I'm curious, like, what do you think is like important to share with the listeners? Like, how did we get here? How did we go from thinking that mental illness was witchcraft and Mm. spells to being able to have a podcast about how to normalize it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always, it's the basic answer, it's time. I think it's people talking about it. And the more we talk about things, the more it becomes okay to talk about it. And so you have back in witch trials and burning and witches and in the <laughs> the early 1900s where it's like, oh, we're going to just lock him in a room somewhere and no one's going to know. But what happens is, is there are specific people over history who haven't stayed silent and they continued to talk about it. And so then that passed on to their kids who's passed on to their kids and it's rubbed off on their friends and it just kind of continues to this day. But even today, there is still that hush, hush, don't talk about it. I mean, I bet me and you probably get some really nice hate comments about when we talk about anything about our mental health. I know I do. And I'm sitting here and I'm fully embracing my my mental health and where I'm at in my past history. We're in 2022 and there are people still stuck in 1940. I think you're so, like, I mean, you're so dead on about that. Just like the ways that we can begin to decrease the stigma, it begins with having an open conversation and telling the truth, like how we're showing up on social media. When I think back to like, so just like mental illness in general, right? It was those people speaking out, whether that was publicly Mm -hmm. or whatever, to share like the story of their experience to sort of normalize it. And then I think like, I really think social media, not even that therapists were on social media yet, but therapists realized as social media started coming out that there was this perception of ideal perfection. I'm Mm. stable. I'm fine. As we, as a culture, we're putting that out into society of like, I'm perfect Mm. and healthy and stable. We started to feel as though that actually needed to be a reality, just us as individuals, as humans on the planet experiencing social media. And then we started to say, like, it got worse. Like there was already stigma of mental illness. And then it's like, oh, but you're not perfect and you're not happy and you're not healthy. Like it wasn't even a mental illness stigma. It was just like a, you're not healthy, happy and perfect stigma. And I think therapists then like jumped in and were like, wait a minute. Like, not only do we have to dismantle this understanding of 
what a human being's lifetime is supposed to be like in terms of stability, health, and happiness. But now people like me and you are showing up and saying like, actually, like you can be successful. You can be trustworthy. You can be helpful. You can get out of the depths of your despair and also dip your toes back in it every now and then and still be a human being that can help others. So I think we've come a long way. I think therapists on social media are actually doing a lot more than they even realize that they're doing. Mm -hmm. The ones that are doing more than psychoeducation that are like, hey, I'm a human too. And you're one of them. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important too, is we're seeing that also go into therapy sessions. Like my transparency also goes in my therapy sessions. I am much more mindful in my therapy sessions right. of making sure that it's appropriate, that it's it's for the client and not for me and things like that. But that's also like that idea of self-disclosure. I always, when I'm doing intakes with clients, I used to do this when I was doing intakes full-time of there are two types of therapists because I have wear glasses and I always say, I'm not this kind of therapist. And I always slide my glasses down <laughs> with my notepad. And I'm like, so let's talk about your mother there. And that therapist is really great for some people. I don't want to, I've always said, I don't want to downplay that type of therapist because yeah. that works for, for a chunk of people, but I'm the kind of therapist who's going to sit there and say, yeah, I do struggle with this because a lot of times I hear, well, how do you know? You don't know how this feels. Mm -hmm. How do you know what it feels like to cut out a mom? Or how do you know what it feels like to not want to get out of bed in the morning? Or my favorite was around like suicidal thoughts. How do you know what it feels like to want to want to kill yourself? And I'm like, because I've been there. And mm -hmm. just something simple like that, I don't need to tell my clients about my suicidal thoughts. I don't need to tell my clients that every day this week, it literally took every fiber of my being to get out of bed. Yeah. But just validate this as, you know what? Because I've had them. That is so important. And on the flip side of what you're saying, when we don't have those conversations, not that they're required, but in those moments where it would be so much better to be honest for your client, to your client, than to not, like mm -hmm. we are missing out on so much growth, so much connection, so much trust, so much just self-acceptance because the person that we think has all their shit together is telling us that they don't and that it's normal not to. Like that yeah. is just so important. It's so important. I love that you said like, yeah, there's boundaries and there's reasons like when to disclose, when to not disclose. And what I always say is like, yeah, if we cannot tell the truth, not even in session, but if we cannot tell the truth about what it is that we are experiencing, what the hell is that teaching our clients? If we aren't mm -hmm. out talking to like living our lives as someone who has been through A, B, and C and experienced X, Y, and Z, but we're telling them like, yeah, go out. Like you're normal. Like there, nobody's going to judge you. Like you don't deserve that. Like you can be accepted for who you are yet. We feel like we won't be. It just doesn't, mm -hmm. it's just not, it just literally doesn't make sense to me, you know? Yeah. Like, I feel like it also perpetuates the shame in it. We forget that that therapist client is a relationship. And again, for some people, us being a blank slate is super helpful. And I don't want to yeah. downplay that. But a lot of times, like our clients are so desperately wanting to connect. A lot of my clients, they don't care to know every nitty gritty detail of my life, but for them to know that I've struggled with suicidal thoughts in my life. So I get it. I may not yeah. get your specific situation because you are you and I am me. Right. But I also know what it feels like to feel completely hopeless. That is instant connection. That's yeah. instant humanness. That is 
wow, okay, I'm not in this alone. I'm not the only one. Having this conversation, it's like, there is so much, so much importance in the work that we are doing. And that leads me into the first question. It's so important what we're doing. And did you ever think that you couldn't even be a therapist because you had mental illness? That you couldn't do this important work or no? I think that there were times where I was in the depths of my own mental health and trauma that I felt like I would not be successful in being able to show up in the ways that I should be. I think it was more that I wouldn't be accepted by my peers. I think that that's where a lot of my feelings of like that I couldn't become because I grew up, my, the relationship with my mom is a whole thing. I had a really great relationship with my dad and he always said like, you can be whatever you want it to be. You just had to put in the work. You had to put in the heart, like the effort. But if you, if you want to be president, you can strive to be that. You just have yeah. to put in the work to do it. I wanted to work in mental health. So I started going to therapy at 18. I started addressing my own shit. I started processing my own stuff to the point now where I am a successful therapist who still has days where I'm like, you know what? Today's a bad mental health day. I can't show up for my client in the way that I want to. So I'm going to have to reschedule. And I think that that's where I was able to really balance out because I'm an overachiever. I've been a people pleaser my whole life. I like to say I'm a recovering people pleaser at this point where in my mind, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to show up to work when I'm like a level one. But the reality is, is I don't have to. I have to respect the relationships that I've built with my client. And if I'm canceling on them every week, it's a whole other thing. I have to remember that I have to take care of myself. And when I realized that, and I realized that kind of like the topic of your podcast, like that I'm a human first and that I have to take care of myself first in order to show up. That's when I knew that I could be a successful therapist and I could really make it. And I, I work with therapists of all ages. I work with therapists who are more of the older generation, blank slate, no self-disclosure. And they sometimes look at me and they're like, you posted what on TikTok? You said what with a client? And, but then I also sit there and I'm like, you know what? Like this is, this is where we're at now. And this is what a lot of individuals need, especially teens and young adults. Mm -hmm. I, we have to talk about the stigma. We have to talk about the stigma from other mental health professionals. Like it's like one thing to get like the looks, like when you're working in like a practice or something, or like the, like, or the whispers Mm -hmm. of the stigma, right? Like we mentioned earlier, it's another thing to have tens, thousands, ten thousands, hundred thousands, millions of people many of which have a mental health background and opinion about therapists. They are a therapist. They're training to be a therapist. And as you create a platform, they have a connection to you. They can DM you. They can comment Mm -hmm. on your stuff. What have you seen from other therapists? And what does that tell you about where some people are at, or maybe not some people, but where some areas of the mental health field remain, although Mm. there seems to be this progression towards more openness of what the reality is like as a human. Yeah, I would say a lot of my kickback comes around the self-disclosure. I would say that's the biggest. And it's kind of like, oh, you talked about your son. You talked about being a parent. You talked about your mental health. You talked about anything. Why would you do that? They don't need to know that. They will think you're incompetent. 
they will think like clients, like how can you teach your clients about coping skills and fixing their sleep schedule and doing this when you were up till midnight scrolling TikTok and you on your six cup of coffee? I'm like, well, because I know what to do and I don't drink six cup of coffees every day. And it's like, what, but- Susan, do you just do nothing? Are you perfect, Susan? Yeah. I'm like, like we're picking Susan. Like, yeah. give me a Susan, break. Like, <laughs> Susan, did you not just yell at your husband for not taking out the trash? Like, right. And, and are you not judging me right now? Like, yeah. aren't you supposed to be teaching your clients how to be non judgmental? But you kind of seem pretty judgmental you're, right now. You're not, you're <laughs> not holding unconditional positive regard for me right now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I, but I think it's important. And I think what a lot of times, again, like, especially around social media, people's inability to separate that this is not therapy. And so what I say on social media may not be the way or as in depth that I would say it in a session with a client. And I'm always like, like someone was like, oh my God, you would say this to a client. And I'm like, well, not in that term. Like I just did a video about someone made a comment and saying like, oh, I hope you forgive your mom one day. They don't live forever. And I put out some, not super in detail, but I put out some of the things that she did. I was like, mm-hmm. I had to witness her stand by while someone hit my brother. I had to, she, why she left me in random strange men's apartments while she went to the bar. She disappeared for a year. She didn't come to my college, like all of these things. Would I tell my clients specifically all of that? No. No, if they come across my TikTok, that's a whole other ball game. Yeah. But then in that moment, like this isn't therapy. Like you're not sitting in session with me seeing how I'm being human in session and self-disclosing. And so I think there's also that piece that I get a lot of that for. Well, what do you say when they're like, well, what if your client sees it or like, what do you say back to them? And, or have you had a client say, I saw this and I want to talk about it. I can Mm -hmm. like assume what my response would be. And I can assume, you know, there's probably some therapists on here would be like, yeah, like, I'm so curious. Like, how can Mm. you manage that in a healthy way? Like, so what, what comes up for you? I can say when it comes to other people comment, like other professionals or anything, I don't engage in hate comments. Like I just don't, because that's for me, that's a slippy slope of just like torturing my own mental health. So I'm the queen of just ignoring and laughing Mm -hmm. because again, like they don't know me. Right. You're making, you're making a judgment of me based off of a 15 second video. Now, what I will say is I had a client who I came up on their For You page and it made them highly uncomfortable. And we had a conversation and I said, let's talk about this. And I said, and we talked about like, we talked about how it made them feel. We talked about their own reaction. And I said, let's talk about your power. And they said, did you block me? And I, they were like, no. And I go, why not? And they go, well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. And I said, well, how would I know if that made you uncomfortable? And we had this really kind of open conversation of like, if that made you uncomfortable to see, but you still want to work with me, then let's take the steps that that doesn't happen again. Because, and we had this conversation of me being a person outside of therapy. I'm still, I still have a life outside yeah. of this and that's okay. And, but I also understand and I respect that you don't want insight into that life. That's okay. And so that's been the biggest is a lot of, my clients have found, but a lot of them have found it helpful. And we've talked about some of my videos and we've talked about some of whether it's my own self-disclosure or just like topics that I've talked about. And sometimes it just creates conversations. It creates conversations with my own family. Tell me more about that. <laughs> like it's, it's been like, oh, I didn't know that I didn't know that that's something that you went through. I still get a little bit of 
kickback from some of my family on my mom's side for not having contact with her. And recently, I don't know, maybe last year, two years ago, I had gotten a series of messages from a family member. And all I did was send them a TikTok to explain why I did it. And I said nothing and I got nothing back after that. Mm. But it's it's just, it's been a way to kind of express and, and put out there again, that we are just people mm. living on floating ball in the universe who kind of have their shit together but also don't and that's okay I like feel so good that you said that that is okay (laughs) yeah that is okay like I just did a video on I went to the dentist for the first time in almost a year and I was terrified because especially the past six months have not been great for me I've really struggled and usually the first sign that I'm struggling is my dental hygiene goes out the window Mm-hmm. I don't brush my teeth. And it's not because I don't want to. It's because I forget. And I'm in a whole other universe because there's 50 other things for me to do. And I remember being terrified because I was like, please don't shame me. Yeah. I'm not in the mood. I know that I need to brush my teeth twice a day and floss. But you know what? I did enough. I did enough. And that's what I told them when I went in. I said, I don't need a lecture. I don't need mm-hmm. a lecture. I said, I probably flossed more times in the past six months than I have ever. Just because when when I realize that I forget, I do the whole gamut. <laughs> but it's like, we're, we're just doing enough sometimes. And that's such an important message to give to our clients too, to be able to show up and say that I've done enough and to be able to share that we understand the human experience. Like we're not just some therapist shell that doesn't have a heart or a past or desires for our future and emotions and physiological responses and all those things. Like we are not an empty shell and we are not a blank slate. We are a human too. And Mm -hmm. one of the questions that I get often, which I think is a really valid question, and I'm curious what your response is, and I don't have it on our list, but it's a good question. (laughs) I get often, um, if your clients know what it is that you've been through, what if that's holding them back? from not sharing a similar experience that they've been through because they don't want to trigger you or they don't want to hurt Mm. you or they don't want to bring it up. What comes up for you? I mean, there's always that option. There are reasons why people hold back all the time, whether it's because they saw a video of mine on TikTok or they're just not ready to. I really work hard to create a space where my clients know that my reaction in a way matters, but doesn't matter that I have done my own work and my own healing to allow myself to sit in something. So if I have a client who is going through maybe a similar situation that I did when I was a kid, I have done my own healing and my own work that it, even if I get a twinge of a trigger, I have a coping skill and I, that I can immediately kind of compartmentalize. I acknowledge compartmentalize and, and place it here so that I still know it's there to to be human, but it's also like that it's not getting in the way of my client opening up and Mm. saying, wow, I see you. I hear you. I feel you. People who aren't in the mental health space, and this is sort of leading into my response to, they don't realize like therapists take at times full on courses on transference and counter transference. Like just because your therapist isn't open about the Mm -hmm. things that they've been through doesn't mean that they aren't going to be affected. And I think that sometimes it's this misperception that 
you like, oh, you're a therapist with mental illness. You must be the, like the type of therapist that gets offended or like gets triggered or can't handle it or responds to your client to try to make up for a past hurt that you weren't able to reconcile with this other person. Just like awful things. It's like, oh oh my God, that's would never happen. That's so unprofessional, but you don't have to have a mental illness to be affected by something that your client goes through. And, and even if you are a therapist with mental illness, it's like, that's showing up on social media and like sharing all of your stuff, like I do. And you do. It's like, we know as professionals to set a boundary in the beginning, Mm -hmm. I am on social media. It's in our informed consent. I'm on social media, on social media. I share some of my personal background. If at any point, my personal background seems like your personal background, please know that like, I don't want that to hold you back from sharing. And if I ever Mm -hmm. say anything that's triggering, like let me know and let's process it. And just like you said, you can block me if you need to. Mm-hmm. Like everything that I'm providing in terms of psychoeducation on my page, if you block me, it's not like I'm not going to be able to give that to you in session. So if you don't want to yeah. see me on your phone, then block me and, and just know that I have like the professional capacity to set boundaries and to hold compassion for you. And mm-hmm. I you Usually when I'm talking like to people, like I've still, still, even though how often we show up on social media, I still get so many messages from like upcoming therapists. Like, how should I do this? Like, are you sure that this is okay? Like, should I even make an account until I have a license? Just like all these random barriers Mm. that we put on ourselves. You know, my response is like one, it's like when, if we have been through things and most of us have been through things can we set boundaries? Like we don't want to have such rigid boundaries where if a client starts talking about something that we've been through, we're like, I I can't talk about that, you know? And we don't want them to be so loose that we're like, oh yeah, like let's just totally focus on this and I'll share mine and you share yours. We want our boundaries to be semi-permeable. Like, yes, we can hear what it is that you are experiencing. It's likely causing us to remember what we've experienced, but we're going to hold this boundary with gates Mm. and you tell us where they should be opened and where they should be closed. And we'll keep the ones that we know professionally need to be closed, closed. So there's boundaries and there's also compassion sometimes. And this is really important if we've been through something and it's like, we've been significantly harmed by physical abuse as an example, or someone with narcissistic tendencies. And then somebody comes in to be treated by us and they are physically abusing someone, or they have narcissistic tendencies. We need to be far along in in our process of healing our mental health, where we can still hold compassion for that person. And Mm -hmm. we don't just hold them off and just judge them. Say there's something wrong with them. Like we still are open enough to have empathy for them and help them find the roots of their behavior and not as a way to reconcile the other people we couldn't heal or change Mm. simply because they are another human being on the planet. And we understand what it's like to be hurt by the things that they are doing on other people, but also to do hurtful things to other people when we were hurting. And it's just this full understanding of like, humanity. And it really has like fucking nothing to do with ethics and legalities and licensures. And we have those things because we understand them, but a good therapist is a good human. And I think that that's really what it comes down to. Oh, I agree. 100%. Like hearing you talk now, like I was kind of like going through like my, my entire practice that I've done so far. And the situation that I had the biggest reaction to had nothing to do with any trauma I had ever experienced. Like thinking now I'm like the most impactful moment where like I literally was, I was crying with a client. And in that moment, 
it was looking back, it was justified, yeah. but like the reason why we were crying together had nothing to do with any of the traumatic things or any of my own mental health. And I'm like, have I been triggered in session? Yes. Have I struggled with transference and counter? Yes. But I actually find my own stuff is easier to navigate mm-hmm. sometimes than some other things. And it's, it's just that piece of like, suddenly, like, again, I have my own bag of goody of like, tr- I have my own bag of trauma and suddenly I'm incompetent and can't hold right. space. No. And also there are so many people that fall under the umbrella of mental illness. Like, are we all just totally fucked? Cause like we're running the world. Yeah. Like we are like people in politics, in policing, teachers, therapists, doctors, parents, like there are so many of us with mental illness and the stigma, it literally doesn't make sense because people that are probably stigmatizing the people that have mental illness may themselves have a struggle with mental health or mental illness. And they just don't want to admit it, you know? Not that everybody has to be messed up, but more people are than not actually, especially now. And it's just important, I think, to normalize that, you know? Well, and and we all have mental health, right? Like, I'm always like, they're like, I've never struggled with my mental health. And I'm like, like, well, you are right now. (laughs) Are you a robot? Like, do you not have feelings? Like, you never experienced grief. Like, that's mental health. Right. Like, you've never experienced like a really sad situation that impacted you for a while. You like, no, never. You've just been solid, happy yeah. every single day. Like, like, and I think that's something that we forget. Like we all have mental health and we've all been impacted by it at some yeah. point in our life, whether it's been, whether it's been turned into kind of mental illness in a way and mm-hmm. been more persistent, but at the end of the day, we all have it. And if you sit there, like, like, I always love when someone says, I don't have any issues with my mental health. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah that's a red flag yeah why do you think the stigma exists like why do you think people are so against the fact that our mental health can be poor at times I think we live in a world where we see it as a flaw and a weakness and weakness means we don't survive Mm. I think it goes honestly I think it goes down to such an animalistic kind of caveman type mentality that like it means weakness and weakness means you don't survive and if you can't see it how are we sure it exists how how are we sure and I think that that's where the stigma comes from is this I don't want to be perceived as weak Mm -hmm. I don't be perceived as that that I'm not like Charles Darwin survival of the fittest Like, will I do that? Will I survive? And the answer is yes. A lot of times, yes. But the world creates it in this, that some, for some reason, it's a character flaw. And the way that we, we can, we describe it in media, the way we describe it in movies, it still has such a negative connotation because when we show the depressed kid, right. He's the one who brings the gun to school. That's where my mind went to because you know what, what I mean? The depressed like. kid, the depressed kid's the one who brings the gun to school. The depressed yeah. kid who is the one who hangs himself in his closet for mom to walk in on. It's not the kid who gets up every day and goes to class and participates and it, and just really struggles. It's not, it's the anxiety of the girl consistently having panic attacks in the school bathroom. It's, they don't show the girl who's sitting in class internalizing it. 
Right. That's not what we see because who's going to watch that? And so I think it's like, we see it as such a character flaw. I don't see mine as character flaws anymore. I did for a very long time. I saw it as a character flaw. Like why the hell can I just not be happy? Why the hell can I just calm down? Why can't I just get over it? And I used to live in that at 18 years old. And it took me a while to really just for myself, embrace that this, you know what, does it suck that I have all the things that I went through? Yes. But has that made me a better human? In my eyes, this is a very personal piece. Has that made me specifically a better human? Yeah. So for a very long time in my life, I was diagnosed with PTSD. At this point, I don't feel like, I feel like I have moved from post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic growth. And again, shifting and, and embodying who I am and that these are pieces of my personality that are just there. And it doesn't keep me from healing. I don't accept it and say, oh, that's just who I am. Right. We're just going to live in it. No, I do the work, but I also don't shame myself when I have a bad day. And the, I like to call them little monsters just because I <laughs> picture them like sitting on my shoulders, like the depression monsters, like, Hey, Oh, I'm here. I'm growling a little bit. And I'm like, cool, let's hang out. <laughs> and then I'm going to put you away and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with you now. I'll pet you. I'll give you some, some love. And then. Yeah. Well, and that's healthy. Like yeah. that's healthy. It's healthy to address it. It's healthy to let it exist when it really exists. You know, like it's this refusal of the acceptance of the human condition that caused yeah. the human condition to become pervasively worse. And <laughs> That's, you know, why we end up where we're at today. Like as I was doing research for my book, I looked at like the global stats for mental health and it's like 13 to 14% of the world population struggles with mental illness. That is a large number of people on the planet, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is so many people. And to just say like, there's something wrong with all of you, like, Mm -hmm. no, we are a factor in the human population on this planet. Like, it's not that there is something wrong with us. And you brought up Darwin too. His whole thing is like, we are mutating and becoming different and adjusting to our environment. And honestly, a lot of mental illness, although it is harmful to us and at times harmful to other people, because we can't think straight and we're taking Mm -hmm. our pain and hurting other people, but like, it's a result of our environment. We actually have survived. You know, we became depressed, became anxious, got PTSD. It's our body and our brain reacting in a specific way based off of what we've experienced. So it's not that mental illness has to make us stronger, but can it? Yeah. We don't need it, but Mm -hmm. it does. It Mm -hmm. can. And that's so important. Well, and and too, you talk about that number that's reported. I always remember too, that's what's been reported. And so that number is even bigger than that. And so again, like you said, are you telling me that there's something wrong with every single one of those people? Okay, sure. (laughs) I look at myself and, and I don't see anything wrong with me. I see a human who've had, who's had experiences who needs to do healing and needs to learn to, and, and I've really learned to live with my symptoms. Do I take my medication daily? Yes. Do I engage in therapy every other week? And sometimes even more than that? Yes. Do I work on my own self-help? All of that. Yes, because I want to be a better person because I do see how my mental health impacts me negatively, but there's nothing wrong with me. And I think it's so healing to hear that. 
from a therapist that mm -hmm. struggles with mental illness, because people know that if they go to you or they go to me, or they go to any other therapist that's open about their mental illness, saying that they're a human and that there's nothing wrong with them, then that perspective is probably going to be applied to them as a client too. And that is so comforting actually. And I got a new therapist. I see him twice a week because I'm fucked up in the head and, <laughs> and, I'm, I'm um, here for it. and he's, he's pretty professional and he self-discloses. Like if you saw him, he wears like the button ups with the collar and he speaks softly and, you know, he does all the things, but he also engages in self-disclosure. And I didn't tell him I needed that or that I wanted that, or that I do that, or, you know, that I didn't, mm -hmm. but he does it. And it's just, you think it's only the people that are outwardly discussing it outside of the room, that they're the only ones that are doing it because that's not the case. And there's a reason why there's so many people, so many therapists supporting what people like me and you are doing saying, thank the Lord Jesus yeah. that you are doing it so that I can yeah. feel more confident doing it in sessions. So my clients can feel more confident in the fact that I'm doing it. And so you can start to normalize it in the mental health and therapy community. Yes. Like I, so when I did that video about cutting out my mom, I am still getting messages to this day of people saying, thank you, because I felt so alone because people always tell me, well, that's your mom. People have said like, this pushed me to really consider no contact. This really pushed me to begin to set boundaries, to take steps towards no contact. And that is exactly why I do what I do. And I show up in the ways that I show up because mm -hmm. I have been successful and I am here to show the people who follow me, to show my clients, to show my friends, all of that, that you can do these things and it's okay. It is okay to cut out a parent when that relationship is not serving you. It is okay to stay in bed for the day because your anxiety is just at a level 10 and the, the thought of existing is hard. It is okay to not want to wake up in the morning. It's, it's what you do with that. That's the most important and that you don't get stuck. And that's what I always remind myself. Like I'm allowed to stay in bed today because it's hard, but I don't want to get stuck here for five days. Because I know for me, again, personal, for me, I know that that perpetuates it. For some people, it doesn't, and that's their process. But for me, if I allow my, if I give myself the space to sit in my mental health and to sit in my mental illness, I am better off. I'm going to leave that as the takeaway because that was incredible. Thank you so much, truly. So listeners, if that resonated with you, please share it, share it on social media and tag me. And I'm going to put, put it back, put it back on Krista right now. It's like tag me. And then no, no, this is half of a sentence tag me. And then Kristen, where can people find you? What is your handle so they can tag you as well? And, and what are, what are you up to next? You can find me in Courtney's comments, fangirling <laughs> all the time. Um, but you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at not your average therapist, which is such an ironic name. And I love it. It was my, <laughs> when I thought of it, I was like, that is me. I have lots of little things in the works, which are actually really big things, <laughs> but they're, I keep them little in my brain. Otherwise I get very overwhelmed. Yeah. But yeah. You can find me making dark humor TikToks and making fun of myself on social media. I love that. I do. I love it. If anything, <laughs> if anything that Kristen said resonates 
with you. Definitely go and follow her. The entire vibe, the entire message is exactly the way that she described it here with us today. And for our final segment, oh my God, you're a human. Even though that was what this whole episode was about, what is one unapologetically human thing that Kristen does? I think I need to bring it back to the beginning of this podcast before we even hit record. And I sat down on the floor and I was like, are we recording video? And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I got to change my entire background. And I don't know if people are going to end up seeing this video, but I will show you, Courtney. Like, I am such a pile person. (laughs) Like, that's my pile that was on my couch. You can see the very large load of laundry that I haven't done in two and a half weeks. Like, that is what, like, that is what makes me human. I am... I am a mess a lot of the time. Like I'll clean this all up and within two days I'll have piles again. It's great. It is great. I love it. And honestly, (laughs) if I trusted myself better with technology, I would turn my laptop around too. It looks the same. It looks the same. (laughs) I love it. I love you. Thank you so much, Kristen. And to every one of our listeners, I am glad that you exist. Thanks for listening to this episode of Human First. Please subscribe, leave a review. It really helps with being able to keep this podcast free and share it on your social media to help spread the message. Tag me at the period truth period doctor. As always, I'm glad that you exist. See you next week.